can't believe he used that old TV video. But you got to picture me as a little kid. And back then, for those of you who can remember, the screen was maybe an 18-inch diameter black and white, right? And Superman was one of my favorite TV shows. In fact, he was my favorite superhero. I would uh, get his comics, and I would read them. And I think, you know, when we, we think about superheroes, there is something about them that resonate deep within all of us. Certainly for me. I like Superman because he made things right that were wrong. He protected people, and good triumphed over evil. And I think, in a lot of ways, that's why superheroes resonate with us. There is something within us that wants to see what is wrong righted, that wants to see people who are unprotected be protected, and to see good triumph over evil. We're in our Advent series now, and in this particular series, we're, we're looking at sweeping themes throughout the uh, Old Testament that find their fulfillment in the New Testament. We all know the scriptures that relate to Jesus' birth at Christmas and revealing who he is, but, but Jesus is more than just the fulfillment of those particular individual scriptures. He is the fulfillment of these sweeping themes in scripture that reveal to us what God is doing in all of this. And we're looking at this as we consider his birth. Now the term Messiah comes from a Hebrew word. And that word actually means anointed. And it is used to refer to the kings as the anointed one of God. In Greek, the word is Christ. And when the scriptures refer to Jesus Christ, they're not referring to Christ as a last name, but Christ as a title. That he is Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the King, the one that God has uh, set apart as the Lord. In the Old Testament, there are many messiahs, but they are not all the messiah that God has prophesied who would be the true Messiah of God, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. There is only one of those. But throughout the Old Testament, we see a foreshadowing of His coming. And we see in these imperfect messiahs that, that uh, characteristics of the Messiah to come. And we're going to look at that this morning. Now the Messiah comes from the godly line of humanity when when the Bible starts, and Adam and Eve sin in the Garden of Eden, they are expelled from the Garden. And sin has its place now in creation and in humanity, and now there is death, and there is suffering, and there is struggle. And instead of uh, this wonderful, peaceful um, communion with God, in which uh, we have oversight over his creation. And we see immediately 
the effects of sin when Cain kills his brother Abel. Abel is the one whose sacrifice God accepts. Cain, God does not. And we see then this lineage coming out of Adam and Eve, one that is evil. God, though, said something in the garden that was very, very important that speaks to this. Speaks to this situation even before Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden, uh, out of Eden. And this happens when he speaks to the serpent. And this is what he says. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise, now that word sometimes is interpreted crush, your head. And you shall bruise his heel. God has foreshadowed the destruction of the serpent. The destruction of evil. And he says there that the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman will be adversaries in contention. But that the offspring of the woman will ultimately crush evil. And so, when we have this lineage now that starts out of an Adam and Eve, we have a fallen human race. We have the death of the one who is the lineage to be, that is, the offspring of the woman. Now there is no more offspring of the woman. But God grants to Adam and Eve another son, Seth, who has a son, Enosh. And with Enosh, the Scriptures say, now the name of the Lord spoken among men. And God begins to fulfill this prophecy in the punishment of the serpent as the Lord and the lineage of the Lord will, will take its place throughout history. And there will be an overcoming of the wicked by the righteous. Theologians tell us that this pronouncement to the serpent, where his head will be crushed, but the heel of the offspring of the woman will be bruised, is the first pronouncement of the gospel. It is also a foreshadowing of the Messiah, although the word Messiah is never used here. In fact, we won't see the word Messiah used until the United Kingdom is about to be established under the kings. Theologians also say about that prophetic word that God spoke in punishment of the serpent, that the Messiah is the one who will reverse the curse by crushing evil and restoring creation back into relationship with God. And this is the major theme of the Messiah that will run throughout Scriptures. We will see others, imperfect, standing against evil, and God using them to bring His kingdom and to give victory. But it will ultimately be 
the Messiah, the Christ, the baby born in Bethlehem, who will usher this completely in. And we're going to look at how that happens. Now, while the word for the Messiah, a king, is not used in Genesis or throughout much of the Pentateuch, it is foreshadowed, king is foreshadowed in Genesis. When God establishes a covenant with Abraham, this is what he says. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. The word kings there is not a reference to Messiah, but certainly would include the king that God will establish over Israel, the king who will be the Messiah, This also is a promise that is reiterated to the patriarch Jacob about kings shall come from him. And Jacob, who becomes known as Israel, foreshadows the Messiah as king in the blessings of his sons. When he says this about Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him And to him shall be the obedience of peoples. It's pointing to a king, a ruler, specially appointed by God. So what we understand in Genesis is that there are veiled references to the Messiah. He will be a divinely appointed king. He will reverse the curse. He will restore all creation. And this is the key to identifying who the true Messiah is. As we move throughout the Old Testament, God sets apart a people for himself, Israel. And he says that they shall be a holy nation of priests. Remember, there is this lineage of the offspring of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent's offspring. Israel is to be part of that lineage. God has set them apart to be a nation of priests, to bring light to the darkness, to bring righteousness over the wicked, and to give birth to the Messiah who is God's superhero, so that good will triumph over evil. At first, the leadership of Israel comes through God, through the prophets and through the judges. But in time, a king is set over the people. This begins to happen as the United uh, Kingdom is formed. And it begins with God's champion who will rule over God's people. He'll be a righteous warrior and give them victory over evil. He'll establish God's righteousness over the nations. This change is ushered in by the last judge who is also a prophet, Samuel. And here now, we have clear references in the Old Testament to the Messiah, the anointed one, the kings that God will set apart. The first is Saul. Samuel anoints Saul. And there are certain traits that we see in Saul that we are going to see in the Messiah 
who God has set apart to be the Lord of lords and kings of kings and to restore that uh, everything back into relationship with God as is the, the, the punishment of the serpent in Genesis 3.15. The traits that we see are this. Humility, trust, obedience, anointing, and the Spirit of the Lord. Saul at first is a humble man. He hides from everyone. He's hiding in the baggage when they're, they're looking for a king. And then when there are people who stand up and want to oppose his kingship, he is gracious and merciful to them. He trusts the Lord. The Spirit of God comes upon him, it tells us. And he calls the people to himself to, to then go out and do battle. He is obedient to the leading of the Spirit of God. And it is Samuel who anoints him. He anoints him with oil. It is after that that we learn the Spirit of God comes upon him. Saul remains the king filled with these traits for two years. And then when the Amalekites attack Israel, Saul, filled with the Spirit of God, leads the people against the Amalekites. But once they have the victory, Saul rejects the commands of God. He refuses to take the lives of all of those who have set out to war against Israel and destroy Israel. And he refuses to part with the valuable contraband that they have as a result of their victory. When they have been commanded that all, all should be done away with. It is then, because he refuses the command of the Lord, because in his pride he somehow thinks he knows better, that the throne is taken away from Saul. Samuel is told to go and anoint another. And the one that he anoints is the son of Jesse, his youngest son, David. And it says of David then, that the Spirit of God came upon him. And it says at this time then, the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. Now Israel has two kings. Although David keeps this pretty confidential. And we see in David traits like Saul's. Humility and trust and obedience and anointing and the Spirit of the Lord upon him. All these things are a part of who David is. But there are other traits like Saul too. He's a great warrior and king. And like Saul, he will prove to be unrighteous. He will fall as the result of sin. Lust and pride, murder, these things will grab hold of him. But there is a difference between David and Saul. Because David repents. David accepts the responsibility for what he has done and the punishment and consequences of as a result. And he pursues God's heart 
not only for himself, but for the people of God. And it is because of this that God loves him so much. He's described as a man after God's heart. A man who is pursuing God's heart above all things. And this is what God says to him. When he wants to build God a temple, but God says, not not for you to build. But let me say this to you, David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made forever before me. David, your throne shall be established forever. There's a special importance here on the relationship between God and the Messiah. A father-son relationship. A deep and abiding bond between them. One in which God will love him like a son. Enough to even show him the tough love of discipline. But also, who wants that son to love him with deep passion, wanting to please his father and do his father's will, like David. Well, Solomon and almost all of the other kings failed to be righteous messiahs. They are sinful men. In fact, They lead the nation into sin as well. And so as God had promised to the Israelites, they would be removed from their inheritance, the promised land, and sent off into exile. It's at this time that the prophets actually tell us more about the Messiah who is to come. The Messiah who will fulfill Genesis 3.15. The prophets tell us that he will restore the house of David to the throne. He'll be God's superhero, reversing the curse and restoring creation. And while there are many texts in the Old Testament that we could look at, the text that I chose today, because we only have so much time, is the text from Isaiah. And I'd like us to just read through it. You're right. This is why I want us to read through it. It is because it reveals the Messiah to be a spirit-endowed descendant of David, a servant king governing with true wisdom and perfect righteousness, protecting the weak and punishing the wicked. Let's read it together now if we can. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, 
the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the bread of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Do you see the picture of the Messiah, the one who is promised to reverse the curse and restore all of creation? He is coming. He is coming, the prophet said. He is coming and will take his place and will fulfill all that God has promised. This is the Messiah that the Jews were waiting for. He was the one that they knew would come. And they expected him to come in power to establish the nation of Israel and her place among the nations as a holy priesthood. And why wouldn't they, since all the messiahs before him were these great warrior kings? Keep this in mind. Because it will help you to understand why Israel struggled to see Jesus as the Messiah. Well, in the New Testament, Jesus is portrayed as the Messiah. In fact, the New Testament does all that it can to reveal him as that in the Gospels. In the Gospel of, of Matthew, the genealogy says that Jesus is a descendant of David. The future Davidic king, who is the Messiah, will have to be a descendant of David. And although Joseph is not Jesus' biological father, because of the Holy Spirit, who conceived the child within Mary, Matthew says that it is Joseph who named Jesus. And in the Jewish faith, that means that Joseph is his adopted son or father. And Jesus is his adopted son. Very important. The royal lineage continues in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus is revealed to be a king. When the wise men come to Jerusalem... What do they ask? Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
in all the Gospels. All of them cover the baptism of Jesus. And what we see in the baptism of Jesus is very, very important. Because in the baptism of Jesus, the character traits of the first Messiahs, the good character traits, are all revealed about Jesus. We see humble, trusting, obedient servant to God, anointed and filled with the Spirit of God. Look at Matthew 3, 13-17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Do you see the humbleness? The obedience to what God wants Jesus to do? Then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice of heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is anointed in this baptism. The Spirit of God comes upon him. And God speaks about how this is his beloved Son. Remember the throne of David? The Messiah? God would be his Father. And the Messiah would be his Son. The Gospels tell us many more things about Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah and how Jesus fulfills them. The place of his birth, the wisdom and power of God revealed in him for the blind see, the lame walk, the captives are free. But what Jesus did not fulfill for Israel that they expected was that quality of being a warrior king. They expected the Messiah to come and to bring full submission to the Lord now, beginning with Israel and establishing them in their rightful place to be a holy nation of priests. But this is what Jesus we are told, said about establishing the kingdom of God. He said the word of God will establish the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God won't be established by power or might, but by the spirit of the Lord, as the Old Testament says. He talks about seeds that are sown. And how the evil one sows weeds among the wheat. Jesus is answering the objection to the fact that he is not a warrior king. He is saying, for now, the righteous and the wicked will coexist until the harvest. The end of the age when the wicked shall be punished And the righteous shall live with God eternally. 
in this, God is fulfilling the covenant promise to Abraham. That promise has not been fulfilled yet. God promises to bless the nation of Israel, but he also promises to bless those who bless Israel, the nations, the Gentiles. That has not taken place yet. And so this coexistence is going to go on and time will be extended so that Gentiles may also be included in the kingdom of God. Jesus says something else that is important. He reveals in the gospel that he is the suffering servant of God. And that the suffering servant of God, the identity of the suffering servant is the Messiah. No one connected it to that until Jesus came. All were looking for a warrior king. But Jesus came to atone for sins. To extend the promise of blessing to the nations, to the Gentiles, to Italians like me. And those of you who want to be Italian too. Which includes the rest of you, I think. Jesus promised one more thing. He promised that he will return. But this time when he comes, it will be the time of the harvest. It will be the time when the weeds are sorted out from the wheat. When the wicked are punished. And the righteous are set apart to be with God. Now why is it important for us to recognize Jesus is the Messiah. Why is this theme important enough for us to talk about it this morning? Well, obviously it's important enough because it's included in the Bible. The Word of God and all He has to say is of great relevance and importance to us. But it's important to us also because in Jesus, God is fulfilling His promise. Not just to bless Israel, but to bless all the nations. So that they may be included in the kingdom of God. He wants to bless them before He punishes the wicked and restores all things back to their proper relationship. Now think about this. The God who created all things Every time he created something, do you remember what he said about it? It is good. Okay, if you didn't get that, let's try that together. It is good. But it falls because of sin and evil. God promises to restore it. He's not going to leave it there. What kind of God would create all of this and then leave it To destroy itself. Would that be a righteous God? Would that be a loving God? Would that be the awesome, all-powerful God who's created all things? I've watched parents with some kids who have been bent on destruction. 
bend over backwards, doing superhuman things to try to help their kids to get it. If we as human beings would do that much, we who are not righteous like God, how much more do you think God is going to make sure that this thing of his, this creation, comes out right? Of course he is. It's important. Because it's who God is. And it reveals God's very nature to us. He's not going to leave us in squalor, in hurt, in suffering, in death, in pain, in misery, in evil, in torment, in whatever. You know, I turn on TV. And I turn on the news. And i got to tell you, it sickens me. And I'm beginning to think to myself, Man, I am glad I'm getting older because I don't know what's happening and I don't know how this gets reversed. But it's a mess and I don't even want to listen to it anymore. It's hard to believe it could be. God's not going to leave it like that. God's going to come and settle that. The Messiah will do that. But until he comes, this will coexist with God's people. It's important to us also because recognizing and trusting Jesus is the hero and champion of God brings salvation to us. It changes our minds and our hearts. It reverses the curse in you. When Jesus came, he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. To atone for sin. So that we might be in this relationship with God, filled with his Spirit, who helps us to live as God intended for us to live. Now, we're not perfect. We got weeds in our life. And they're growing up in the midst of the righteousness that's growing up in us too. But the Spirit of God is cleaning that up in us. And one day, those weeds in us will be removed as well. Why is it important to believe and recognize the Messiah? You do not want to continue in your own power. The truth is, we do a lot of damage. We may be well-meaning, but we do a lot of damage. Just in the way we say things sometimes. Just in the, the you know, I'm not going to keep my promise. It's just too hard. We don't realize how it affects others. But God He calls us to be righteous, to live up to the things that are important, that He can use for holiness in others. And God brings salvation to us because Jesus is the one who can give us salvation. You will not be saved in your own power. There are only two classes of people, Scripture tells us. 
those who are saved and those who are unsaved. There's no middle ground state. It is or it isn't. And I love that Jesus says, well, there's more to be included in the kingdom, so we'll let the Word of God do its work so that the nations may come and join us. There are many here. You believe in God. Probably most of you. You believe Jesus is the Savior. You recognize Him. But there are some who may not. And I want to say to you, Today is the day of salvation. Believe. Choose to trust Him. There is no more important decision you can make in your life. This week, I I spent time not just preparing this sermon, but preparing the eulogy, my part of it, that I delivered yesterday at a funeral. I told you about her two weeks ago, that she was dying. She was a woman of great faith, and her family is filled with faith. I mean, Jesus is absolutely Lord of their lives. And that funeral service was just an incredible testimony to that. Somebody came up to me and said, you know, I think I got a taste of heaven in that. And that's because my friend Susan lived her life with God. So when she entered into death, she entered death with Jesus who says, in my Father's house are many rooms, that he will not only go and prepare a place for you, but he will come again and take you to himself, that where, you, where he is, you may be also. I want that for all of you. And we should want that for everyone. The scriptures tell us that Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, that he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That's Hebrews 9.28. Jesus said he will return. And he left us time to be busy about sharing the good news so that all people, Gentile and Jew, tall and short, men and women, people you like and people you don't like can can share in the kingdom of God. And remember what I told you the key to knowing who the Messiah was is Genesis 3.15. Let me read it again to you. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The true Messiah, 
will fulfill that scripture. The true Messiah is restoring creation back into relationship with God. He is reversing the curse. Jesus is the true Messiah. He's the hope of the world. And the reason we celebrate Christmas is not so that we can have a big birthday party or so that we can pass out gifts. And I think passing out gifts is great. But the reason is so that we can remember God's promise that good will triumph over evil in your life and in this world. That Jesus will return in power when it is time for the harvest at the end of the age. The wicked will be punished. The righteous to eternal life with God. And all things will be restored to God in heaven. This is why the early church ended its service. Do you know what they said at the end of their worship services? Maranatha. Maranatha. It was an Aramaic expression. It means, come. Come, Lord. They ended their service. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. We celebrate Christmas so that we remember he's coming. That he's our hope. That he is restoring all things. He's God's superhero and champion. And he is ours. Because God has made him so. And he will finish his work the Lord of lords, and the King of kings, when he returns in power. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you now for your promises. We thank you that you keep all of them and that in Christ they are all yes. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming, for fulfilling the prophecies of the Messiah, and for, we say this in faith, fulfilling the prophecies yet to come that will restore all things to God, that will reverse the curse, and that will allow us to dwell forever in the house of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.